This is The Brian McClanahan Show. back to the Brian McClanahan Show. This is episode 117. Glad to have you back on the program. Glad to be here. Before we get started, just want to remind you that if you do like this podcast, please share it around on social media. And you can find me on social media. You can find me on Facebook at Brian McClanahan. You can follow me on Twitter at Brian McClanahan. And you can subscribe to my YouTube page. Just go out and look for Brian McClanahan. If you don't want to go through all that process, just go to my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's Brian with an O. And you can find all my social media buttons at the top of the page. Just click on those. It'll take you right to my social media accounts. Also, when you're there, you can give me an email address and I will give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook read by yours truly of the same title. So go ahead and do that. It's well worth it. Plus, you can help support the Brian McClanahan show if you wish at brianmcclanahan.com forward slash support. You can throw a few pennies my way, help keep the podcast going, help keep the lights on. Anything is appreciated. Also, don't forget that if you have not uh, ordered a copy of my How Alexander Hamilton Screwed Up America, it is now out. If you do get it, please go on out and leave a review on Amazon.com. The more reviews, the better. And if you do like this podcast, please head on over to iTunes and leave me a review there. Again, the more reviews, the better. Okay, uh, I had a, a, a listener email me and asked me, what do I think about an Article 5 convention? And so I always talk on this podcast about, you know, what we need to do is think locally, act locally, and and work within uh, our our local government and state governments and do those kind of things to try to ensure that we're we're curtailing the power of the central government. Uh, Now, that is perilous at times. We're seeing uh, Mike Meharry at the uh, 10th Amendment Center as being sued uh, in Kentucky now by the city government because he asked... Uh, for surveillance records, and so uh, this is going to be an issue. If you are working within the state and local governments, uh, you know, to work against central authority or even the authority of the state and local government at times, you know, this this was a situation where you had local surveillance. Uh, you might run into legal issues. So uh, that is something that people have to be prepared for uh, as you start to resist the central authority. They're not going to go down peacefully. The state is always going to try to maintain its own power and its own authority, and they're going to do it, uh, if they're not going to do it with force, uh, through physical force, they might do it through legal force. So uh, keep that in mind. Uh, but this idea of an Article Five convention is uh, is something I think is is very interesting and, and essential. I was just doing an interview yesterday with a uh, uh, talking about my, my new book, and the uh, the interviewer actually had listened to my podcast. Uh, it was a it was a radio program, and he had gone out to do research for the interview, and he actually went out and listened to my podcast, and he said, you know, you d- just did a podcast on Catalonia and. Uh, what do you think about secession? What do you think about these type of things? And my point was that all of that would be unnecessary. Really, all the all the talk about California secession, Texas secession, Alaska secession, Hawaii secession, Vermont secession, uh, take your pick of a secession movement. All that would be unnecessary if the general government actually did what it was supposed to do and legally constrained to do by the Constitution. If we just had a union the way the founders designed it, where the general government had two purposes, commerce and defense, and all other issues were left to the states, and this is exactly how the Constitution was sold to the states, then we would not have 
all of the anger and angst that we have in the United States today. Because California would be able to go its own way in terms of domestic policy. So would Massachusetts. So would Alabama. So would Montana. All of these issues that we get angry about, that we think are the, are, are the issues that are you know, two Americas. And I talked about this in the last podcast. The two Americas that are developing. That two America situation wouldn't matter if we actually had a constitution as it was originally designed to do, uh, which is limited purposes. Uh, so uh, that is the real issue. It's nationalism. It's a top-down government problem. This all goes back to Alexander Hamilton. But the question was, uh, you know, would an Article 5 convention be beneficial? And I think uh, certainly it would. Uh, when you look at uh, how the general government has assumed powers it does not have, and they say they can do these things because, of course, the implied powers doctrine that Alexander Hamilton uh, so famously foisted on uh, the Congress and the United States uh, and the general government. Uh, now, of course, they're, they were willing to have this thing because it enlarges their powers, or I should say, more importantly, foisted on the states. Uh, because of that, uh, we have a Congress that now is out of control. And, of course, also because of Alexander Hamilton, we have an executive branch that can essentially do anything it wants to do. Now, we could go back and look at other presidents that, that assume powers on their own, people like Teddy Roosevelt and Woodrow Wilson and Franklin Roosevelt. But the thing is, and even Abraham Lincoln, uh, this is my nine presidents who screwed up America, but that would not have been possible without Alexander Hamilton's constitutional machinations. So I think an Article Five convention would be beneficial. Uh, there are different proposals out there. There's one uh, that would um, allow for... Uh, a balanced budget amendment. Now, how would that work? Now, the 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 um, the critique of a balanced budget amendment is that Congress would just raise taxes to maintain a balanced budget rather than cutting spending, uh, and so you'd have to put language in that would prohibit that from happening, uh, to where Congress just wouldn't go out and raise taxes to to make sure its budget is imbalanced. But it's not a bad idea. Uh, also, you have a federalism amendment. These are things that Kevin Goodsman has been proposing for years. Uh, have another referee that when Congress passes legislation, the states have the ability through a referee, this, this new uh, organization that's created, this new committee or a committee of states that would go in and look at the legislation and decide whether that legislation was constitutional or not. So you would have the states now as part of the process to referee congressional legislation. Which, again, the whole point about nullification, people bring this up, well, you're just going to nullify every law. No. The whole point of nullification is to nullify unconstitutional laws. Constitutional laws are fine. If the Congress is doing what it's constitutionally supposed to do, we wouldn't have much legislation at all anyways. And it would be things like foreign policy or making sure we have a free trade zone in the United States, working out these type of things, not worrying about what kind of bathrooms you have in your state or uh, what your education policy is, or uh, you know, uh, what your, how, how your roads are built. All of these things, of course, are outside the purview of the Congress as per the Constitution as ratified in 1788. So, uh, and, and I think this is the, this is the main point. Uh, if we had a Constitution that worked properly, that functioned properly, uh, we wouldn't have these discussions of nullification and secession because there would be no need for it. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, nullification, this idea of interposition, is designed to save the Union, to ensure that the Union is maintained, that we don't have secession. That is also the key point about nullification. People also always often say, well, nullification is just the first step in secession. Not really. Uh, nullification uh, is the first step in maintaining the Union. 
Uh, because what you're doing is saying, look, you general government, you're out of control. We love the union. We want to maintain it. But the problem is you're passing unconstitutional legislation. That's got to stop. And so we're going to block it. Now, I want to, I want to transfer this uh, into a discussion of what could we do to curtail executive power? And in my nine presidents who screwed up America, which I hope, again, everyone's gotten out. First of all, as of this podcast, which is uh, in October uh, 2017, uh, the uh, ebook format for my nine presidents is a buck ninety nine on Amazon. So you want to go out there and get that. But one of the things, if you haven't, go go get it. One of the things that I talk about in the book in the concluding chapter is what we could do through constitutional amendments to uh, rein in executive power. And I actually had a guy email me. Uh, sometimes people email you uh, when you write books and do things, and they think that uh, they can just um, they can tell you uh, almost demand things of you, and that you're just going to oh yeah yeah go ahead and I'll, I'll, because uh, he said well if if uh, if if you just change that in the book I'll I'll, I'll promote your book. Well, so what? I mean, you're you're one guy. I'm not I'm not worried about you promoting the book, but uh, the the fact is. Uh, his problem with the book was that um, he didn't like the chapter on amendments. Uh, he didn't like the fact that I was proposing amendments in the concluding chapter because amendments are just silly in his mind. Uh, we, we, that, that, that would ruin the Constitution. It would ruin uh, the, the, uh, the Union because what you would get is an out-of-control uh, convention, and they would propose all kinds of stupid things, and uh, you would go nowhere fast. And, of course, the fear is that if they propose all kinds of stupid things, that all this stuff is going to become law. Well, you know, uh, amendments do take three-quarters of the states for ratification. And uh, the fact is, uh, even if the convention proposed stupid amendments, they still would have to go to the states for ratification. And I highly doubt stupid amendments would get ratified. First of all, right now, uh, the quote-unquote red states outnumber the blue states substantially. And I think that uh, you would have the, these blue states, these uh, leftist states, would have a hard time getting any of their leftist dreams through a convention and then through a ratification process. It just wouldn't happen. The chances of the red states getting what they want through is a much higher likely, uh, a much more likely uh, outcome than, uh, than anything else. And so we shouldn't fear an Article 5 convention. In one way, uh, we shouldn't fear an article. Maybe there would be some beneficial changes to the Constitution. In fact, the amendments I propose would be serious structural changes to the executive branch. We have executive government now, and you could curtail the executive branch substantially with a series of amendments. So I want to go over these amendments because I thought they were pretty good. Uh, I mean, you might quibble with some of them or say there could be some problems here, but uh, I actually proposed seven amendments uh, for Article 2. And so <clears throat> I went back and looked at various uh, proposals over time, various things that had been suggested, or uh, um, going back to the ratification of the Constitution, also looking at the Confederate Constitution for examples on what could be done to try to improve the executive branch. There are examples out there that would uh, be beneficial for the executive branch, in my estimation, to make it far less powerful and far less abusive. Uh, because the executive branch now has become the central branch of government, we should change that. Congress in, in the general government, uh, Congress really needs to be the uh, player that's front and center. That was the original design. 
But, of course, Congress keeps punting its responsibility to the executive branch. In fact, John C. Calhoun again pointed out the problem with the executive branch is Congress. Uh, because Congress keeps giving authority to the executive branch unconstitutionally, and they shouldn't do that because that creates major problems in the future. And he was exactly right. Uh, of course, some people don't like the fact that I keep talking about John C. Calhoun because uh, John C. Calhoun was pro-slavery. And my response to that is, so what? Uh, the fact is, can we? If, does that mean that we have to discount anything else that Calhoun said about government? Uh, then we're going to have to not uh, talk about Aristotle and Plato and uh, we're going to have to start discounting Thomas Jefferson. Uh, we're going to have to go out and look at a whole bunch of people that uh, that we can't we can't uh, admire anymore because they, we're going to have to basically say the Magna Charta is invalid because all those barons uh, had serfs and they even talk about it in the Magna Charta. So are we going to go back and say uh, you know well? We're not going to listen to any of that stuff anymore. Basically, we need to go to 1970 and say we're only going to listen to people from 1974 because before that, everyone was a racist or a slaveholder and uh, they're just no good. Uh, so this is the problem with these stupid arguments that this person had said a bad thing to say and uh, or said something bad, something we don't like today, and so we can't listen to what they're saying. It's, it's actually a leftist argument. This person is supposedly a conservative. It's just silly. But uh, the fact is Calhoun was pointing out that the Congress was working uh, to undermine the, the Constitution. And I think you could write a book, How Congress Screwed Up America. Maybe I'll do that. Uh, but uh, the, uh, the amendments I proposed, one of the first, I proposed the president go to a one-time six-year term, just like in the Confederate Constitution. No chance of re-election. The president gets one term, six years, and the president's done. Now, how would this be beneficial? Well, one thing, you wouldn't have a situation like you had with Barack Obama. People talk about Russian collusion. Uh, and so you have Obama on a hot mic telling the Russian prime minister, Medvedev, that, hey, look, uh, if you just uh, wait until the election's over, I can really do some things now. Uh, but I got to say these things so, uh, so I, can, I can get elected. But when it's over, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something else. This is the problem with re-election. You wouldn't have that situation anymore. Donald Trump, for example, would have a six-year term. He'd be there for six years, and he's done. And there, were, and there would be no uh, campaigning. Uh, everything would be about the office at the time. There would be no threat of, well, is Donald Trump going to get reelected? Or is Barack Obama going to get reelected? He has to do this, this, and this in the first four years, or he may not get reelected. He has to say all the right things for four years because he may not get reelected. That is the problem of this uh, executive branch that has the potential for re-election, even two terms. What you see in the second term. Now, the second, the, the critics of this would say, well, yeah, usually the second term is a disaster because they can't get re-elected. Uh, you could make a case for that, uh, but not always. Uh, even when you could get re-elected, sometimes the second term was a disaster because I think it went on two years too long. Uh, that was usually the issue. So you get one six-year term, you're out, after that, and uh, you don't have any of this problem of trying to raise a campaign chest or do these kind of things uh, to, to ensure your re-election the next, uh, the in the next four years. Uh, so I think that, that innovation in the Confederate Constitution was wonderful, and uh, we should look at that as well. Now, as far as uh, I, I said that uh, an amendment to the Constitution altering the language of Article One, Section 7, which would amend the veto power. So this is what these are the changes uh, I thought that should be added to that particular part of the Constitution. Uh, if the president does veto legislation, 
this is the part I added, quote, any objections must cite express constitutional justification for disapproval, and the president may disapprove any item of appropriation in any bill. If any bill is approved by the president, an item of appropriation contained therein, which is not disapproved, shall become law. So essentially what I've done here is said, okay, if you veto something, you have to explain constitutionally why you're vetoing it to get rid of this legislative hammer. In other words, they can't just veto something because they think it's bad policy. They have to let anything that is constitutional go through. But if they veto it, they have to say, well, this is unconstitutional because of X, Y, and Z. And they can have a line item veto. That's exactly what I've given the president in this particular uh, 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 change. And uh, that was also an invasion in the Confederate Constitution. Now, what's happened in America is we have presidents issuing signing statements, which are essentially like line item vetoes. And so you have to be very careful of that. Uh, the presidents have done these things. Well, I don't agree with this, 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 and this, so I'm just not going to enforce those parts of the bill. Well, that's unconstitutional, but the president essentially has taken it on himself to give himself a line item veto unconstitutionally. This would allow it to happen constitutionally. The president would have it. And I've lowered the threshold for, uh, for overturning a veto to three-fifths. Three-fifths is a little easier to get uh, 60% is easier than two-thirds, 66%. Right now, you could see uh, 60%, which would be 60 senators uh, and uh, in the Senate, for example, uh, would be easier to get than 66. Now, of course, the, uh, the fact is we only have, if you look at just partisan divide, you only have 52 Republicans. Uh, and so you're still eight senators short, but three-fifths would be a little bit easier to achieve than, than, uh, than two-thirds. Uh, your chances of getting two-thirds are almost impossible. Uh, it happens every now and then, but very rarely does a presidential veto get overturned. And if, the, if there was something that was pretty good, you might be able to get eight people from the other side in this case, or you know, sometimes you've had 56 or 57, you might be able to get a few people from the other side that would override a presidential veto. So uh, I think three-fifths is a magic number. And the, the Congress will have to, um, and I also make a change here, um, that changes the, the pocket veto uh, provisions. And so the Congress actually has to adjourn sin D, which means they're adjourning for, till the next session uh, in order for a pocket veto to work. Um, that's essentially the way it works now, but this would be actually codifying that. Uh, they can't just leave a representative behind uh, and uh, this basically makes the pocket veto uh, valid. Uh, but you, you put it in the language of the Constitution, then there, therefore there is no uh, disputing it. Uh, I also recommend that we uh, amend the language of Article 2, Section 2. Uh, this has to do with uh, the, the uh, uh, Commander-in-Chief Clause. So this is what uh, I changed. Uh, but the president may not deploy the militia out of, outside of American borders without the consent of the state legislatures, or call the militia into the service of the United States without the consent of the state legislature, nor can the president deploy the armed forces of the United States into actual combat unless the United States is suddenly attacked or invaded. In the case of a sudden attack or invasion, the president may not deploy the armed forces of the United States for a longer duration of one month without authorization by the Congress of the United States. So what I've done there in the last part of it was you know, this, this war powers resolution, which is unconstitutional. Uh, it allowed the president to uh, use the military for two months without uh, congressional authorization. I limited that to one, but only in the case of the United States being invaded 
uh, can the president deploy the military without congressional approval. And this also cuts the ability of the president to use the militias, which is now the National Guard, uh, to send them overseas. As I said, deploy the militia outside of American borders without the consent of the state legislature. So at least there has to be some block in the president going out and sending the National Guard of the state of whatever into Iraq without the state legislature saying, yeah, we'll let you do that. There is at least one block. The states still have power in this. Uh, and so I think that's an essential uh, a check on this military power of the executive branch. The president could still use the military to repel sudden invasions, attacks. Uh, they could still deploy the National Guard outside of American borders at the state legislature's consent. Uh, they can still uh, call the militia into actual service of the United States if the state legislatures consent. Uh, so the state legislatures have to consent to this in order for the president to call up the militia. Uh, this is a major change because now the president just calls up the militia at will. Uh, you, you just can't do that. Uh, that's not how. That's not how. It's not a power the president was supposed to have. You know, just to be able to do it at a whim. I recommend that an amendment to the Constitution altering the language of Article 2, Article 2, Article 2 excuse me, Section 2, uh, to over the treaty power. So the president shall have the uh, power to, by, by and with the advice and consent of the Senate, to make treaties, provided three-fifths of the senators present concur. That would be lowering the threshold again from two-thirds to three-fifths. And I also add this, and all agreements with foreign powers must have Senate approval before becoming law. This this cuts the idea of an executive agreement. The Senate has to approve any agreements with foreign powers. And no treaty can supersede the authority of the United States Constitution, the laws of the United States, or the laws of the several states. This takes out the objection that the, Cong that the president could come up with a treaty that would essentially repeal the Second Amendment, for example. Well, they just can't do that. Uh, you can't do it, in my estimation, now, but this would make language strengthening that part of it uh, to cut the uh, the power, potential abuse of power by the president when it comes to treaties. So uh, I think that would be a beneficial change to the Constitution. Again, uh, you're cutting the power of the central authority, uh, and that is the point. Uh, a fifth proposal. Uh, now, how can we remove a president? This would uh, change the language of Article 2, Section 4, uh, and change the impeachment. So uh, the president can be removed from office for on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery. Also, I add, incapacity, negligence, perfidy, peculation, oppression, violation of the oath of office, abuse of power, or other high crimes and misdemeanors, including violation of the laws of the United States or the laws of the several states. So now you can take the president out of office through impeachment, uh, through adding some things that Madison said, uh, the president could be removed for. You strengthen the language of it. Violation of oath, of oath of office, abuse of power. These are things that you could get rid of the president for. We're talking about impeachment all the time now. I mean, of course, the left is all over it because they think uh, Donald Trump uh, is uh, doing uh, uh, unconstitutional things. Um, well, I mean, if you had a, a part of this that says abuse of power, you'd have to prove it in a court. You'd have to prove it in, in the Senate. Uh, and, of course... Um, you could, uh, you'd have to be able to to go to the Senate and get the president removed. I did also alter the language there, uh, on on um, 
on uh, impeachment in terms of conviction to re reduce that to three-fifths rather than two-thirds to make it a little easier threshold to remove the president. And so adding things the president can remove from office for and, of course, lowering the threshold, I think, would create a situation where the president is more accountable for his actions uh, and there is more of a threat of impeachment. And this would also apply uh, to, uh, to Supreme Court justices, uh, I could get into that in this book, but this book was, uh, I couldn't get into that in this book because this book is about the executive branch, but we could we could talk about Supreme Court justices and how we should alter the Constitution for that. I think there are several beneficial changes that can be made to the Constitution through an Article 5 convention. But the point, the first point, of course, is education, and you need people uh, who understand these things uh, in our state legislatures. And so and one of the things you can do by thinking locally and acting locally is work with your state legislatures more, get good people elected to your state legislatures, to your governor's seats, and that would help curtail the power of the central authority. Now, there would be confrontation. I mean, uh, if the states start getting a backbone and opposing the central authority, there's going to be confrontation. What kind of confrontation is the question? Uh, would it be peaceful or not? I would hope it would be peaceful, but that's going to require, again, the people of the several states to ensure that peaceful things happen. Um, but uh, that, that would be an issue. Uh, now, uh, last but not least, um, I actually added an amendment to the Constitution limiting unilateral executive authority. And this is my amendment. Quote, The President of the United States shall not issue proclamations, orders, statements, or decrees of a legislative nature or in regard to foreign policy, create commissions, committees, boards, regulatory agencies, or appoint dictators, czars, or any other non-elected government official, organization, or agency unless prescribed by the Constitution for the United States. Submit a budget for the executive branch or the government of the United States, withhold non-classified information from the Congress of the United States, or undertake any acts of a legislative or judicial nature. So what this is, is it's, it's, a, it's an amendment that cuts executive power. As you can see, the president couldn't issue proclamations, orders, statements, or decrees of a legislative nature or in regard to foreign policy. This takes out your signing statements, your, your executive agreements, your proclamations, uh, all of those things that are questionable. Um, you know, I talk about in, in the Hamilton book, and of course also in this book, uh, the issue of the Neutrality Proclamation and uh, the Emancipation Proclamation and other proclamations throughout history that are dubious constitutionally. Of course, good policy, uh, you know, you want to have neutrality, uh, you want to end slavery. These are good policies, ultimately, but they were done the wrong way. And this is executive government. It's not what we want. We want the Congress and the states to be involved in this process, not the president to unilaterally do that. Uh, also, uh, create commissions, committees, boards, regulatory agencies, or appoint dictators or czars. I mean, all these things go on all the time. We're just going to create an executive commission. Uh, we're going to create a commission that's going to give us the TART, for example. Uh, we're going to create some type of board that's going to oversee trade or whatever, you know, during World War I. We had all kinds of things that were created. Uh, now, of course, Congress was involved in all that, but presidents often go out and create these czars. Well, I'm going to appoint a czar to do this. Uh, Congress hasn't been involved in that process. No dictator should be appointed by the executive branch to do anything. We don't need a car czar. Uh, we don't need a drug czar. Uh, these are things that are outside the purview of the executive branch. Now, if Congress wants to create these offices uh, and uh, then allow the president to, uh, to go ahead and appoint these things, well, okay, uh, that could be possible. But then again, if you have a referee, like uh, Kevin Goodsman advocates, a state referee, 
some type of committee that can look at that and say, well, that law is unconstitutional. We can't do that. You could cut the power of the Congress that way. So there's there's several ways we could put the brakes on unconstitutional legislation and uh, this or unconstitutional government, and this is just one example of that. Um, submit a budget for the executive branch of the government of the United States. Now, that one's an interesting one. I think that one would, would create a lot of uh, a lot of angst for people because the executive branch submits a budget, and then Congress works with that. Essentially, what's happened is the president now uh, controls the budgeting process in the United States. That is wrong. The president should not control the budgeting process in the United States at all. Uh, that's Congress's responsibility. But again, they punted that to the executive branch. Here, you write a budget, and uh, we'll work with that. Uh, so this should not happen. Congress should come up with the budget. And uh, Congress, particularly the House of Representatives, being the quote-unquote voice of the people, they should be the ones coming up with the budget, not the president. Of course, uh, the reason they punted that responsibility is because the executive branch had gotten so large and so out of control, they had a hard time managing it. So they had to give it to somebody else to do. We have all this bureaucracy. Well, you create your budget. What's going to happen here is Congress is going to get frustrated, and they're going to start cutting bureaucracy. That's the important part. Withhold non-classified information from the Congress of the United States. Again, this is executive privilege, which doesn't exist, uh, and so you would cut the power of the president to do that, or undertake any acts of a legislature, a legislative or judicial nature. Again, making sure the president is not legislator-in-chief or judge-in-chief, uh, that, that, is, that is an issue. Uh, we can't have executive departments uh, that have uh, the, like a regulatory agency, that has the ability to be uh, not only in, uh, create rules and regulations, but also enforce those rules and regulations, and then decide if you're guilty of violating those rules and regulations. That would be an executive act that's of a judicial nature, so or a legislative nature. So we're going to cut out all of these regulatory agencies, essentially in this process. Now we know the Trump administration has been cutting regulations very quickly, but those regulations can be put back into place once another president comes into office in either uh, you know three or, or seven years from now. Uh, we've almost gotten to the point where Trump's been in office for a year, so three to seven years from now we could see a situation where those regulations come back, or even the Trump administration could put them back in place. I mean, we don't know. So this is this is uh, of course the problem with executive government. It's it's uh, government by men, not law. And uh, that's something that needs to be fixed. So the question is, do I support an Article 5 convention? Yes, I think we could have a lot of beneficial things happen to the Constitution should the states get involved, actually call an Article 5 convention, and, and call for amendments to the Constitution. Now, you could limit that convention also to deal with one amendment or two amendments. You can do whatever you want. The states have control over it. And again, the states would have to ratify these things. So if they don't want it at the end of the day, we're not going to get it. If we have some type of amendment that would give us a, you know, a single-payer health care system, uh, I highly doubt that would be ratified. So uh, it wouldn't even be an issue. You could have a convention, though, that would abolish the executive branch or abolish the Supreme Court. I mean, you could have abolish all the federal courts. We could talk about amendments that curtailed congressional power to create all these inferior courts that cause all kinds of problems. Uh, you, you could do that. We just not have those things. Uh, so uh, there's all kinds of things that after the Constitution was put into effect uh, and ratified and it began working, there were, there were problems with the Constitution. And I think the antis, the, the quote-unquote anti-federalists, were prescient in pointing out these things are going to exist. So maybe we should start looking at some of those criticisms, going back and dusting off some of these old amendments that were proposed that were not ratified or came out of the states. Some of these things were pretty good amendments. And uh, by having those amendments... 
Uh, maybe we could cut the power of the central authority by looking at things like the Confederate Constitution, uh, which had some some interesting innovations. Uh, we could cut the power of the Congress and the executive branch. Uh, and I didn't even get into that kind of stuff in the book. So these are just some proposals for the executive branch that I think would be beneficial for the United States moving forward. And if we could actually get an Article 5 convention, it's some things we should consider. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClendon.